Greetings, y'all. <laughs> I had to do it, you know. Interesting enough, because oftentimes we use words we don't pay attention to, as I mentioned about the words happiness or blessed. But there are other, other words in our language or any language. We commonly use words without paying attention. Uh, for instance, oftentimes you say thanks. To you, I just uh, a word which quite doesn't mean what it should really mean. That's not my subject today. My subject is not about another word. How often do you use the word please? Please? What do you mean? See, we use those words without paying attention. What do you mean when you say please? And in a better language, perhaps in the English, we say if you please. That we're getting closer to the meaning of the words. Every time you say please, you are asking if you please. In other words, if it pleases you. That's a different story, isn't it? Please, uh, you're not begging anything. You're asking someone saying, look, if it pleases you, if it's pleasing what I'm asking you, please do me a favor or do so. As you can see, that gives a totally different uh, flavor to the word. Remember that. When you say please, you want to actually please the person to whom you're addressing. Now this brings me to the very subject of the sermon, because we also pray often and say, please God, what do you mean? You're begging, begging something of God, you shouldn't. You're asking God, look, if it pleases you, if I'm doing something which is in accordance with your will. Again, that shares a totally different light, doesn't it? And I wanted to stress the point today. Our ways, are they pleasing to God? Are your ways really pleasing to God? When you ask God anything, say, please, stop and say, wait a moment, am I doing my share? In other words, what I'm asking God, is it really pleasing to Him? Otherwise, you're losing, in a way, your time because if it is not pleasing, your question or your request is in vain, isn't it? We all want to have friends in this world, and it's true. Some of us are very close to each other, others less, which is also, humanly speaking, normal. Yet we don't realize that God is our friend. If you really check the Bible and see how often God calls a servant, my friend, you'll you'll be surprised. He's telling his disciples, some of them, like Moses, Abraham, he says, you are my friend. If you're dealing with a friend, then when you say please, you are sure that you are actually doing something which is pleasing your friend. And sure enough, when Abraham was called a friend of God, Abraham's way of doing things were pleasing to God. See, we don't think of it that way. Don't only think about Abraham, Moses, and so forth. Why Moses was a servant of God? Why did God say, he's my servant, he's my friend? Well, because Moses' ways were pleasing to God. A friendship depends upon pleasing each other, both on human level and also between God and us. And that's the point. Suppose 
Someone said, a friend of you said, ask whatever you want, I give it to you. Well, you may ask different things. And that friend of yours might or might not be able to give you what you're asking for. But suppose God tells you, I give you whatever you want. What would you ask of God? What would you ask that will please God? That's my question. You could ask him health or wealth. Something like this happened in the life of Solomon. First King chapter 3. God actually, you know, this is interesting. God actually asked him, look, tell me what you want, I'll give it to you. That's wonderful. You would like to have a friend who is able to give you what you ask. Oftentimes it is not possible on the human level. But here's God says, look, Solomon, first King chapter 3, ask whatever you want. Verse uh, 9. So Solomon listened to what's God's request. Why says, therefore, he says, give to your servant an understanding heart. That's an exact translation, by the way. Often people think, well, Solomon asked for wisdom. Well, yes and no. Wisdom is part of it because, you see, Solomon asked for an understanding heart. For what? To judge, you know, to serve to people, to judge your people, that I may discern between good and bad. And then, what happened? Verse 10, that's the, that's the punchline. That speech pleased the Lord. There it is. See, here's a request that Solomon made. A request which was pleasing to God. And therefore, automatically, God gave it to him. When your ways are pleasing to God, you will always receive what you ask. That's for sure. But be sure that your ways are really pleasing God. And God gave him understanding heart and also wisdom as you read the rest of it, you will see. And that brings us to, on our human level too. Often time, amongst our friends, we just talk and we ask each other certain favors. Humanly, what we ask depends, of course, upon our, upon our relationship. And also, we expect something in return. It's quite different about as far as we and God is concerned. There's nothing that we can really give God except ourselves. So every time you're asking God, you're asking God in such a way that you want to be sure that you are asking something which pleases Him. And that you're doing something which is also in accordance with His will. Those are important points. When you look around, of course, you see some people very <clears throat> intelligent, wise, some people very likable, others less likable. And then some people you like, some people you, you like less. We in the church have a tendency of liking our brethren more, which is fine. But liking your brethren more doesn't mean that you don't have to like the others. Otherwise, you, you won't be pleasing God. I mean it. In the church of God, we have the tendency of always praying for each other, which is fine. Nothing wrong with it. We, are, we have a tendency, which is fine, to help each other, which is good. But does that mean you have to neglect those who are not in the church and whom you can help? 
Otherwise, if you don't do so, you are not pleasing God. In Leviticus chapter 19, I want you to just understand because it goes both ways. It has to work on a human way before it goes between God and us. Leviticus chapter 19, God tells us exactly what our relationship should be with our neighbor. Does not say with the church members alone. Understand this. Leviticus 29, 19, sorry. Take to verse uh, 18, or perhaps, perhaps before that. No, it's right. Uh, no, let's go back to verse uh, 17. You should not hate your brother in your heart. You should surely, says, rebuke your neighbor and not bear the sin because of him. You should not take vengeance nor any grudge against the children of Israel or your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's, this is one way of pleasing God. See, because that's an Old Testament commandment, yes. You'll find the same thing in the Old in the New Testament too. But you see, no matter what it is, no matter where it is, if you are going to ask God and going to understand what love is, you have to be sure that you won't hate anyone. That's what God says. If you have any hatred in your heart against it, anyone, you are not pleasing God. Therefore, your ways are not pleasing God and you will not receive what you're asking for. He says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And then when you read the Bible, when you see what I am the Lord, that's the seal. This is it. So, that's the way our forefathers began. They did not have the understanding heart because they did not have God's spirit. So when Christ, when he came and he, through his spiritual teachings, he taught his disciples, he took the same commandment again. He emphasized it. In John chapter 13, he repeats the same thing, but in a different way because he gave it a spiritual, shall I say, flavor or touch. Still the same idea of pleasing God. John, John 13, verse 34, which we know by heart, a cross says, look, I give you a new commandment. What was this new commandment? Verse 34. He says, that you love one another as I have loved you. There is your spiritual approach. Now, we, we on God's own, from God's point of view, if we have God's spirit, we have to have love like this toward everyone. Not only for those whom God has called, but we have to love everyone because Christ loved everyone. Christ died for everyone. Christ did not make a di distinction between the Israelites or Gentiles or the good or the bad. He died when we were all sinners, as the Bible says. So you see, that's the level we're talking about. If we have this attitude, then our ways are pleasing to God. That's a tremendous difference, brethren, because I do really mean this because we don't quite understand the depth of it. We don't have to like people's ways. No, that's for sure. But we should not hate anyone, regardless who he or she might be. I remember times and time and again in Pasadena, 
Mr. Armstrong would mention, if our ways are pleasing to God, he will bless us. That remained in me, you know, and oftentimes I thought of it. And here, of course, I'm giving you, giving you a sermon on the subject. And he, Mr. Armstrong took the very essence of what he said in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. It's very beautiful because it's simple, very simple, yet it is hard for some of us because of the fact we don't do our share, we don't do our part. We, we think we have done our share when we are actually just pleasing God the way we think we are pleasing Him. But as you see, to please God, you have to love your neighbor, not hate anyone, Help everyone, serve everyone. As John says, First John chapter 3, verse uh, 22. He says, we know that he says, uh, we receive from him whatever we ask if our ways are pleasing to him. I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing here. So, have this in mind, brethren, as we go along. On a human level, I repeat, our relationship is what, uh, should I say, you expect something back. If you give something to someone, you expect him to give something back to you. As Christ said, when you are inviting someone, invite someone who cannot invite you back. That's the principle of it. So you see, try to understand what God's love is and how we can please God in this human level before we try to please him on his level. Now, have you ever asked yourself, what does God expect me to do? I'm sure you have. Yet, have you ever checked the Bible and see what you will find in it? Practically, every question you have, you will have an answer in the Bible. And you'll be surprised because God tells you from Genesis to Revelation what he wants you to do. Yet, time and again, I ask myself, you have asked, and I say, I wish I knew what God wants me to do. You have the answer. Everything you find in the Bible, God tells you exactly what you're supposed to do. I hear I told you, you, you should not hate your neighbor. That's all. I mean, don't ask questions. There are no if and buts. You have to love everyone. And every time you have a question, you, should, you can come to the Bible and search, you will find the answer. I've heard quite a few people say, well, I wish I knew what God's going to do. Any certain condition. Well, whatever your condition is, be sure that you are doing something which, which is pleasing to God. And you'll find, as I said in the Bible, many, many passages where God, God will clearly show you what he wants you to do. Let me just take a few examples. There are so many of them because, as I said, well, look at the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments? They tell us exactly how to please God. Isn't it? If you are keeping God's commandments, you are pleasing Him. And God spells very clearly every one of them. And we have the booklet, Mr. Meredith Wright. It explains how to please God. That's what it is. If I'm Worshipping God, I'm pleasing Him. If I don't have any other gods before Him, I'm pleasing Him. My ways are pleasing Him, therefore I expect God, and rightly so, to be blessed. 
Interestingly enough, when Ten Commandments, you know, we have said this time and again, God gives four commandments only to show our relationship with him. Yet six commandments to show our relationship among ourselves. Because it does take much more effort uh, on our part to just really have this type of relationship. It's easy to say, I love God, or even to pretend to love God. But it's harder to just say that you love your neighbor. So, have this in mind. But now let's go again, find a few passages, among many, many passages, where God shows you what is pleasing in his eyes. Let's go back to Psalms, chapter 69. As you see those verses and try to put yourself in this situation and see if that's the way you would have acted or you would act. Psalms 69. As you know, David was a man after God's own heart. You know why? Because his ways were pleasing to God. It doesn't mean that David did not commit sin. On the contrary. But he knew how to repent, how to please God, how not to repeat his mistakes. Therefore, you see, when you see David's Psalms, you read them, you can see why he was after God's own heart. Psalms 69, verse 31. Here we find, so this also shall please the Lord. What? Better than any kind of a sacrifice, it is not enough what pleases God is your attitude. He says, the humble shall see this and be glad. Verse 32. In other words, what God is asking you and me, I will praise the name, verse 30, I will praise the name of the Lord, God, Sing for him. Magnify him and with thanksgiving. See, this attitude pleases more than any sacrifice you can do to God. Interesting. So that's the way to read the Bible. We, see, we, we think we're doing something for God. No. What God expects of you is something much simpler. Be thankful. Be grateful. Do some good. Love. That's, that pleases him more than any sacrifice you can, you can make. I've seen this often time when we fast. We expect God to do something for us. You know, that's not, that's not quite the right attitude. Sure, you can ask God, but you're not fasting because you want something in return. You're fasting because you want to get close to God and have this attitude. Thank Him for whatever you have, even for whatever you don't have. Let's go a bit further. Proverbs chapter 11. Here's the man, you remember, who asked God an understanding heart. When you read the book of Proverbs, have in mind, this is the man whom God gave understanding heart. So what does Solomon say about pleasing God? Proverbs 11, verse 20. Those who are of a perverse heart Quite different from understanding hard, isn't it? Proverbs hard are an abomination to, to the Lord. But such as are blameless in their ways are his delights. If you want different translations, you will find that the word says that, in other words, 
You have to have a happy attitude toward God, a thankful attitude toward God. You should do what God says. That's the meaning of the whole word here. Then you'll be pleasing. There are many, many passages in the Bible, in the, in the Proverbs. I'll jump. But I would like to give you some examples. Now, all, all the way in history, Israelites claimed that they did not know what God wanted them to do. Let's face it. They begged God, they asked God to deliver them from Egyptians. And then afterwards, God performed the Ten Miracles, as you know, and told them what to do. They even gave him the Ten Commandments. They said, what do you want us to do? Strange, all the way through. Let me give you one example. And the prophets of God kept telling them what is pleasing to God. And yet people say, what does, ex what does God expect of us? Interesting. But you say, put yourself in the shoes. Maybe that's your attitude too. Maybe that's what you're doing. That's your problem. You suffer. You say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm suffering and I just don't know what to do. That type of an excuse is very poor excuse before God. You should always know what to do because God tells us what to do. The fact remains, sometimes we are not quite willing to do what God wants us to do. Because human mind, the human nature is, as you know, in enmity with God. It doesn't please us. Therefore, we don't want to do what God, what pleases to God. In Jeremiah chapter 16, just an example here. Jeremiah chapter 16. Here we have the people talking to Jeremiah and arguing with him, and just pretending they don't know what this really God expects of, of them. So, Jeremiah 16, we read, see, because people, as I said, I was, I was arguing, saying we don't know what God wants us to do, and so forth. But 16, verse 10, yes. It should be, says, when you show these people all these things, all the words, and they say, why has the Lord pronounced all these, all, the, all these great disasters against us? Now, look, they are pretending they don't understand. They were given the Ten Commandments. They were given all God's commandments as to what's, what God's will is. And here they are telling God's prophet, look, we don't know what, what God wants us to do. Why is he punishing us? What did we do wrong? He says, what, what is our iniquity? Verse 10, Jeremiah 16. What is ours, our sin that we have committed against him? Now, what does that mean? When you read it, brethren, or when I read it, we should put, this, we should put, we should put ourselves in, this, in their shoes. Don't we act sometimes this way? We pretend we don't understand. We, don't, we pretend why is God not listening to our prayers or granting us what we need? And we just say, well, what am I doing wrong? Look, I pay my tithes, I keep the Sabbath, I pray, I fast. What am I doing wrong? Then he says, you should, you should tell them, verse 17. That's God's telling him. He says, because they say, your fathers have forsaken me. Uh-oh. Then I didn't do anything. It was my father's fault, isn't it? They served other gods. Verse 12. And you, that's you and me. You have done, it says, worse than your fathers. Behold, it says, each one walks, it says, according to his 
in the imagination of his own heart. If you walk this way, brethren, you will never please God. It's not an understanding heart. So that he says, no one listens to me. Those are simple words, yet very difficult to understand from a human nature, human point of view, because we don't like it. Oftentimes we ask God something, we obey him our own way, the way we want our obedience to be. And we think we are pleasing to God, and we are not. That's what God is telling you here. Because, I repeat, every one of the, whatever, every request people made here, pretending they didn't know, Jeremiah told them, you had it, you have God's commandments, you know what to do. Why do you ask me? Why are you complaining? Well, this goes on, as you know, for a long time. But anyway, I just want you to get the point. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a question lots of people say. Why, is it, why, why was God so cruel to just let people die? Well, again, God is not cruel. We just let ourselves be victims of our own understanding or ways. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, when God speaks of Israelites and also of their ways and how they rejected God himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. He says, but with most of them, talking about the same people who were talking to Jeremiah, to most of them he says, God was not well pleased. No wonder. For their bodies were actually scattered in the wilderness. Was God harsh to them? No. They, 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 they caused their own, shall I say, death. Because they, their ways did not please God. I really want you to think deeply about this, brethren, because we don't think of it that way. Always ask yourself, am I pleasing God? What am I doing, God? Is it really right in his, in his eyes? Then you would have a different understanding, different ways of reacting, perhaps. This went all the way through the Old Testament. Of course, the New Testament, too. When it came to the, toward the end of, of the Old Testament, we had the prophet Micah. Micah was not the one who told people their sins and he told them what pleases God. And that pretending, well, I don't understand, I don't know. It's a very poor excuse. In Micah chapter 8, it can be very clear the way Micah puts it here. People ask him, well, what should we do? What can we do? You know, sometimes it's interesting because Bible, but the Bible explains things in few words that sometimes it takes us maybe, maybe a whole book or to write. Like happiness I was talking about. You know, uh, Paul writes in about two verses how to be thankful to God in Philippians. How to appreciate things. Because I read lots of books on psychology you will never get what Paul says in about two verses in Philippians chapter 4. Be thankful. But here's the same thing. Uh, people are asking Micah, look, okay, tell us what can we do? And Micah sums up in three words what God expects of them. Micah chapter 8. You see, sometimes I said we, 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 we pretend, we don't know, we don't 
like a six, I'm sorry. We, we, we pretend we don't know, but we know it. It's all there. You can always open the Bible no matter what verse. You'll always find the answer. Micah chapter 6, verse uh, 8. So, people are, were asking him before what God expects of us. He says, verse 8, Oh, he says, He has shown you, O man, what is good in God's sight. What does the Lord require of you? There it is. God's will. How to please Him. If you please God, you will be always blessed. This is the principle. So here, God's prophet says, well, you want to please God? Here it is. Do justly. First commandment. To do justly. You have to do what God says. Have no other gods before Him. Respect your, love your neighbor. Justly in God's side, not in your side, because oftentimes we justify ourselves. You do what's good in God's side, not in your side. That's the whole sermon of a subject there by itself. Then, to love mercy, another one. Do you want to please God? Love mercy. What does it mean? Mercy does not always forgive your enemies or your friends or anyone. Mercy does not call for vengeance. Yeah, oftentimes in human, on human level, we want to vindicate someone. We want to get even with someone. That's not God's way. Then you're not, you're not pleasing God. So here, the prophet says, look, be merciful. How often, during the Passover especially, we ministers know, people come and say, you know, uh, they, they want to just question their own baptism or conversion. Time and again, when I have a chance, I say, look, it's not a question of your conversion. My question is, do you have grudge against someone? Have you forgiven someone? Or do you have something against someone? That's your problem. That's where, that's where your problem is. So, if you have any questions, first out, if ask yourself, do I, is there anyone in this world whom I don't like? Or do I have a grudge against? Go and Make peace with him. That's what Christ said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's what Micah is telling. He's saying, look, be merciful. As Christ says, be merciful as your Father is merciful in Luke chapter 6. So, and then, and then thirdly, and walk humbly with your God. To me, this is one of the beautiful, most beautiful sentences. I've made quite a few sermons especially in the French, to the French people, on humility. I think it's, if you really understand humility, you get closer to God's nature. Because all the way through the Bible, you will find how Christ expects us to be humble and how much the human nature acts the opposite way. We do things out of vanity. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be important. Important? Next day, you might be six feet down underneath. That's why it is. So, you see, we have to just think and see what is important in, in God's sight, not in our sight. Humility. Let's go back to Proverbs again. One of my most favorite chapters in the book of Proverbs about humility. Actually, a verse. I, I read it oftentimes, this verse, because... Uh, to me, it's so meaningful. Uh, Proverbs chapter 15. 
verse 33. Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord, that's the, fear means respect, obedience to. Respect of the Lord is the instruction, uh, wisdom. Then, and before honor is humility. To me, that little sentence explains everything. We all expect to be in God's kingdom, the glory. But before you get to that glory, you go through this channel of humility. And that's what we are here for in this world. That's what life is about. You have ups and downs, you have difficulties, you have problems, I know, but through your experiences or trials, you should have this attitude, humility. Christ did. Philippians chapter 2, you know it. So, that's what Micah told the people. Those three, those three things God expects of you. Sums up. Do we? Do you? Do I? We were called for a mission, you and I. Not because we are better, but not because, but, but because God wants us to something to do. In accomplishing our mission, we have to have a sense of priorities. That too is God's will. That too is how to please God. Oftentimes people misunderstand what priorities are. Priorities doesn't mean that you have to neglect what is secondary. In other words, God called you and me, first of all, to serve him. It does not mean that you don't have to serve your family or your, your friends. No. Once you understand that, you can see that God is always will create always a way for you to be able to serve him and also to serve your friends or your family members. Look, Matthew chapter 10. This too is pleasing to God. This too is what he expects of us. If you don't understand it, then I think we do have a problem, brethren, because of the fact this is the truth. You see, God has called us for a mission. That mission has to be fulfilled by you and my, by, by me, and we have to do it. We have to do understanding the list of priorities. He says, uh, verse uh, chapter 10, Matthew ch 10. He says, verse 34, don't think I came, he says, uh, to bring peace. You understand the meaning, because if you go, if you follow God's way, you will have people against you. I did not come, he says, to bring peace, but sword. And then he says, I said the man against father, daughter, and so forth, because of the fact that the whole family, you would have some called and some not called. And then he sets another very important, shall I say, rule. Verse 37, he who loves father, mother, or sister, whatever it is, more than me is not worthy of me. See, those are, this is what God expects of us. Without neglecting the others. Otherwise, we'll be hypocrites. Again, I've seen so many people say, well, do you mean say God wants me to give up my family? No. If you have the right mind, you understand, God wants you to help your family. God wants you to spend time with your family. But there's that right balance. The priority is God first, then without neglecting the other. In Matthew chapter 22, I believe, yes, chapter 22, when the Pharisee asked Christ, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? See, Christ showed him exactly the importance of the two commandments. 
He did not divide in Matthew chapter 22 the first commandment and the second commandment. I'm sure you're looking for what verse. You can't find it. It's very simple. Christ said, look, you should love your neighbor. You should first of all love your God with all your heart, but also your neighbor. Those two together, he says, make the prophets and the law. Now, humanly speaking, again, I want to come back to the human level. We want to find fault with this type of reasoning. We want to expect God to just allow us more, let's say, leniency or understanding to do the things our ways. Sure, you can't do it. But always remember that if you want to please God, you have to do the things His ways, His priorities, not our own priorities. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, here is a very purpose for our calling. Romans 12. You know it. We know it. Paul says, I beseech you, he says, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice. Remember, I mentioned a moment ago about God does not care about sacrifices, but living sacrifice is quite a, quite a different story. Holy, acceptable to God, which is reasonable service. And then he says, don't be, do not be conformed to the world. And that's another problem we have. Today we, have in, we are in a world which is, there's so much temptation. You know, I, I look at the young children today, or even teenagers. It's hard to be in their shoes. There's so much temptation. Unless we parents know how to understand and teach our children, we won't be really, should I say, praising God. 20, 20, or 30 years ago, there was a different way of raising children. The principle is the same, doesn't change. But the ways of doing things today are different. We have to understand. Today, a five-year-old child knows much more than we knew about 15 years, when we were 15 years old. Therefore, you have to act accordingly without compromise with God's laws. So it is difficult for the younger, young people today to be in a world which is, there's so much corruption. So you and I, we have to be able to understand what God's will is and not be conformed to this world, verse, verse 2, Romans 12. So we have to understand how to help our children, how to make life interesting for them. And how to really just have the feast time, for instance, just, just make them appreciate what God also offers, let's say, versus to the, what the world offers. Then Paul says, be you transformed by the renewal, renewal of your mind. It will change your way of thinking, change, change your way of acting. Not that you may prove what is good and acceptable and proper will of God. In other language, other translations is, what is pleasing, the word acceptable. Same thing again. Acceptable, agreeable, pleasing to God. This is the way you can study the Bible, brethren. I repeat, our problems begin because we make a distinction. We want to concentrate on God alone and we neglect our feelings toward, toward, our, toward, toward human beings. You cannot please God unless you also help your neighbor. You cannot love God unless you also love your neighbor, no matter who it is. I'm not saying love his, his ways, no. Love is, a, is a God's creation. 
because every one of us are created eventually to be in God's kingdom. First John chapter four. First John chapter four. Another basic truth here, very interesting, because of the fact it shows uh, how humans sometimes reason and how God reasons. Remember, we are trying to please God. That, uh, that's a basis. If you please God, you will always be blessed and you will not be neglecting those in your own family or your own friends or your friends. First John chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God, and we all say that, don't we? We pretend to love God. We pretend, I say pretend, because that's what it is. We say, I love God, and look at the problems we have within the church. How could you have divisions? How could you have hatred sometimes? How could you have just a misdemeanor or wrongdoings within the God church if you say, I love God? Because it says, if you love God, it says you also have to love your brother. Verse 20, verse John, verse John 4 and 420. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he says he's a liar. And you know, there won't be any liars in heaven, as we say. For he who does not love his brother, look at the, look at the condition, again, the pleasing God. Who does not love his brother does not love God. Boy, that's pretty strong, isn't it? There we are. Therefore, you cannot really deceive yourself. And he says, these commandments we have from him, that he who loves God must, that's italics, I know, but still the idea is there, love his brother also. Therefore, to please God, you have to also please your brother without compromise, without following his ways, but without expecting something in return. On a human relationship, as I said, oftentimes serving each other almost calls for expecting something in return. Well, that could be sometimes good or bad, I don't know. All I know that God, all God expects of us is to do something pleasing in his eyes, and he will always bless us. Have that in mind. That's, that's the basis. Look at Paul. Paul had an interesting life. In fact, I was thinking about talking about the Apostle Paul because uh, just study his life. Throughout his life, he went through tremendous trials. And he's the one who tells us exactly how to please God in his episodes. As to how to be grateful to God. That's one example. How to be humble as Christ was. I mean, he shows very clearly he suffered more than anyone else, as he says, but yet in every epistle he is, he shows you how to be thankful, how to be grateful to God. In Ephesians, Paul explains our attitudes, our relationship with, among ourselves, how to please God with our own relationship among ourselves. Sometimes read the whole book of Ephesians with that in mind. He explains the relationship between the wife and the husband. And he shows you what is pleasing to, in God's sight. If wife doesn't do, Ephesians chapter 5, exactly what Paul says under God's inspiration, the family is not going to be going the right way. 
Ephesians 5, verse 22. Talks about wife's job. Submitting husbands again uh, in the Lord. Or the husbands. Verse 25. Ephesians 5. Loving their wives again in the Lord. This is, what's, this is the relationship we should have, brethren. We don't always have it. We don't always have it within the church either. And then Paul shows something interesting on verse 21, Ephesians 5. It says, Submitting says to one another in the fear of the Lord. Yes, that's the relationship again with husband and wife. This is pleasing to God. Now you see why we have problems in families, even in the church. We don't have this understanding because people say, well, where is the answer? Where is the answer? The answer is here. But we don't do it. Ephesians chapter 6, here Paul explains about the children. We talked about the children a moment ago. Verse 1. Children obey, says, uh, your parents to the, in the fear of the Lord. And that is right. That's pleasing. In other translations. Honor your father and your mother in the first commandments with a reward. Promise. So, he shows all the way. Read the rest of the chapter. I won't. It shows about employees in, a, in, a, in an office or, or, or any place. If you're an employee, servants, he called that. Here's what you should do to please God. Because he says, as though you'd be working for Christ. Chapter 5, verse 5. And then uh, verse 6, verse 7. If you're an employer, you should be acting as though you were doing, uh, working for Christ. That's the relationship. If you have this type of attitude, brethren, you'll be... Your ways will be pleasing to God. I can see why we have problems. Problems within the church or problems in the world because people don't act this way. We are selfish, humanly speaking, and we want things our ways and we expect God to do things the way we want him to do. And of course, we won't go, he won't help us at all. We won't get too far with it. Well, I personally have heard, I'm sure I do myself, the same thing. Sometimes we have excuses. We have an excuse why we don't do the way God wants us to do certain things. And those excuses always are very, shall I say, meaningful to us. I've never seen anyone give an excuse with which he does not agree. <laughs> that's, that, that's the very important tool we have. But oftentimes ask yourself, is this really what, I'm, what my excuse is, is it good enough for God? Oftentimes it's not even good enough for our neighbor. But so when you are actually trying to justify yourself, ask yourself, look, stop arguing or pleading. Ask myself, what am I using as an excuse? Is it really good enough for God? You'll be surprised, brethren. You know, I, I, as I said, every minister, we talk to people and so forth, and they come with their problems, whatever it is. And you listen, you listen to them, and, and always, the, the way they pre present their case is though they are in the right and God is in the wrong. God does not understand them. God is not doing something that because they need something, and God is not acting. That's a wrong feeling, brethren. You should always know that God, what God does is always right. If something is short, falling short, 
the problem is from your angle, not from God's angle. In a, let's see. Yes, First Timothy chapter 2. That's another interesting part of it. Here's another way of praising God, something which I don't think we do often. First Timothy. Paul explains to us here that God wants all men to be saved. Look around. There's so much filth around us today. There are so many people whose conduct is not good. We are not, we're not the judge. God is the judge. We still have to love the people, not their ways, but themselves. And we have to pray for them. Look at the corruption we have in governments. Again, I know some of us, we see the corruption. We just lack respecting authority. And that's the danger. If someone in authority is doing the wrong thing, let's say, it's not an excuse for us not to respect his office. That's something important to remember, brethren. And some, I should say, oftentimes, we, every one of us, we are disrespectful towards those over us. Whether Mr. Bush or others do something wrong, that's not up to us to judge. And that has become practically generalized in every country. We talk down on those who are actually over us. And that's not pleasing to God. I'll surprise you. As I said, I'm not saying that they are right or wrong. It's not our. Our job is to please, to respect them, obey them in Christ. And pray for them. First Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1. Therefore, I exhort every one of you, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, you know what that means, of course, and giving thanks be made for all men. That's it. There are no exceptions. And then it goes on for kings. Not all kings are good, have been good, far away. Or leaders who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life. Therefore, see, he's explaining why. He says, for this is good and acceptable. Again, this word is pleasing in all these translations. It's acceptable in the Lord of God, in the sight of God. Yes, God wants us to pray for those who are in authority. So that, first of all, we can finish our job. And secondly, also that we can really learn to respect authority. We don't have to follow their ways or do the things which are against God's way, God's commandments, no. But we should always use the authority which is over us. Otherwise, we won't be pleasing to God. In Matthew chapter 23, Pharisees were hypocrites because they pretend to know God but they did not respect God's will. They pre pretend to be obeying God, yet they went their own ways. And they respected the law in their own ways. As I said, see, the Pharisees' ways of obeying God were, was hypocritical. And sometimes we have that same attitude ourselves. Here Christ told something which we may bear in mind, because 
You see, sometimes we do have this attitude when we actually really obey God. Matthew 23rd chapter. Uh, well, I don't know where to start here, but he, God explains to us very clearly that if you are doing something, well, let's, let's take to 20, verse 23. Matthew 23, 23. It says, what do you say, scribes and Pharisees? For you pay the tithes, okay, they are doing it. And then you just uh, do what you're supposed to do, but it says you neglect the heavier matters of the law. And then, believe it or not, goes back to what we said a moment ago. Justice, mercy, and faith. Interesting. And that this could be our attitude. Sometimes this is the way we act. Then we say, what, what am I doing wrong? I'm keeping God's commandments. Yes, but how about the rest? The heavier matters. You keep them, yes, but you keep them your own ways. Oh, sure, I'm trying to do what's good. I'm trying to do. The word trying to do is not good enough for God. You should do it. Oftentimes we use the word, I'm trying to do this. Well, you know, I say, look, stop trying, just do it. Otherwise, it sort of, uh, doesn't make much sense. Some of us, you know, go halfway in obeying God. Well, you can't go halfway to be towards salvation. You can't be halfway saved. You know what I mean? So we have to go all the way with God and to be pleasing to Him. Well, let's take another example as to what God wants us to do to, to be pleasing in His eyes. Something which could be a surprise to some of us if we don't understand the Bible. It's in chapter in Hebrews chapter eleven. The Hebrews chapter eleven, God de defines what faith is. It's a beautiful chapter because to me, again, Paul explains the difference very clearly between faith and hope. Sometimes people say, Well, I don't know what faith is. Faith is something, look, it's very clear, hard to perhaps apply it, but very clear. Paul says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. What's you have to have the evidence. The evidence of the, or evidence of the, the things not seen. Therefore, see, I don't have to see something to have faith. If I see it, then I don't need help. The faith is that you know that you already have what you expect to have. I'm, I'm giving you this because for one reason. So, after defining what faith is, and Paul goes on, says, he explains about all the, some of the gods called ones, Abel, and so forth. And then he makes a very interesting statement in this chapter, faith chapter. He says, verse 6, now look at this. We have had so many sermons on faith. But the Bible says, without faith, Hebrews 11, 6, without faith it is impossible. That's a strong word. You know, the French say there's no such thing as impossible. That's a French way of saying it. Okay. Well, humanly speaking, yes, lots of things are impossible. But when God says impossible, then, then we have to be very, very careful. This is serious. If God says it's impossible to please God without faith, then we better wake up. That's the reason why we have so many sermons on faith. But we have to really act this. Therefore, you want to please God? Have faith. Here's your definition of faith. 
act Christian. Be, 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 be more positive. And we don't have that positive attitude in God's church oftentimes. We have so many people just sort of depressed, saying, well, look what's happening. Look at the world around. Yes, it's bad. But no reason for us to be sad about it. We know it's bad. We know it's prophesied. Let's do our job. Let's just move on. Something happens in the tragedy has happened in the church lately, and then some of them are so depressed. I get phone calls. I said, look, why don't you be positive? I said, look, God knows what's happening. Turn to God. Do your share and be happy that you're called, you can serve, and that's all. Then, then God will somehow give you the answers. But if we all cry because it's so mild what's happening to us, that's not pleasing to God. God wants us to be cheerful and positive and thankful. That's the attitude we should have. You can't just be cheerful when everything goes well. That's the human will acting. God wants us to always be, I mean always, grateful to him. In all things, well, let, let me turn, turn to Philippians chapter 4. I know Mr. Ames says this is my favorite verse, which is, because it, it does show what our, our attitude should be. Philippians chapter 4. Verse 8. He says, whatever things are true. And I said, that's, that's positive. That, that's the way you, you're proving faith. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely. There's nothing negative here. Yet, Paul is writing in a world which was negative. Paul was writing at a time when actually Christians were being crucified. Therefore, he's not pretending he's doing the same thing that as we have it today. We are, we are living in a wretched world, yet this is our attitude if we want to please God. Things are lovely. Whatever things are good, over your good, good, good report. If there's any beauty, he says, think of these things. Brethren, do we do it? Do we practice? Do we live this way? It's high time we wake up because of the fact as time goes on, brethren, we have to more and more get close to God and do what's pleasing in His eyes. I mean it. Because we pretend we are pleasing. Study Abraham's life. When Abraham was called of God, Genesis chapter 12, what did he, do? What did he say? Now wait a moment, God, let me just think about it. Let me see if I want to move my, leave my family alone, just get out of this country. Abraham did what he said. No argument. Genesis 12. You know that. So that's the attitude. Therefore, Abraham was blessed. In Romans chapter 4, this is again Abraham's attitude. And this is what God wants us to do. Romans uh, 12, verse uh, 18. Now this is the New King James translations, which is fine, but I, I prefer the Old King James version. He hoped his, he hoped uh, against hope. But you know, it's you know it's contrary to all expectation. No matter there was no nothing left. He hoped against hope. Is the, the idea of it. Abraham did what God told him to do, and therefore his ways was, was, 
was, was pleasing to God, hoping against hope. That's pretty strong, isn't it? You know, it's, there's no way out. You have to steal your still hope. And you'll find quite a few examples like that in the Bible. Like the three Hebrews who were thrown into the firing furnace. To me, there it is. There's no hope. They're in the furnace. When, what is left? Yet they came out of the furnace alive. Or Daniel in the lion's pit. Now, where do you stop? Where do you stop having faith? Faith never ends. Faith goes all the way. There's no place you say, now there's no more faith. No, faith should never end. That's what examples are of Daniel or the Hebrews or what Paul says over here. Hoping against hope. That's what is pleasing to God. That's why Moses was the servant of God. They were servants of God. And that's what you and I should be, brethren. Look what Christ said about you and me. John chapter 15. John 15, he's talking about uh, us, about how to be Christians. We read those chapters oftentimes at the Passover time. Christ calls us friends. He says, if you, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, he says, you will abide in my love and I will, I will abide in you and I will. Okay. Yeah. And so, of course, you will abide in me and you will be blessed. Keep my commandments. Just says, I have kept my father's commandments, verse 10, and I abide in him, in his love. So Christ himself, when he was on earth, he did keep God's keep God commandments. Therefore, he did abide in God. Therefore, he shows us the example. And then he says, look, you are my friends. Verse 14. You're my friends. We're talking about friendship, you remember? Who are your friends? In the world, you might have probably good friends. I hope they're good ones. But here... You're having God as a friend. And Christ says, look, you're my friend. And then here comes the condition, which is pleasing in his eyes. If you do whatever I command you. That's fantastic, isn't it? It almost, you can't believe it. Here God, just like God offered Solomon, he said, you ask and you should be given. Here, Christ is telling you the same thing. You say, well, God never asked me what I want. It is. God is telling you exactly, look, whatever you want, you'll get it. Because I'm your friend. And what is pleasing to him as a friend, that you just keep God's commandments. All of them. It gives you a different perspective, isn't it? It helps you understand exactly what we're doing here. In James chapter 2, there are so many examples, but I, we have to really understand and just live by it. James chapter 2. We're talking about Abraham. We're talking about Moses. 
Well, look how they, the way they acted, the way these people behaved toward God. James chapter 2, verse 23. James 2, 23. Look at the attitude of some of God's people who were called. He says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. And he was called friend of God. Wow. Well, yet not wow, because we just saw what Christ said in John 15. So what Abraham had, you and I have it too. What Solomon had as a promise, you and I have it too. God asked Solomon what he wanted. He asked for an understanding heart. You and I ask God also what God is asking us what we want. He's saying, look, do what is pleasing in my eyes. It's the same idea. Then you see, then you get a better understanding of God's will. Brethren, here we are, not too far from the Feast of Tabernacles. And with time when all of us will be together and celebrating God's laws and God's love in his own family, will be scattered around the world. And this is one time we really have to show among ourselves and also to others how to really do what is pleasing to God and to God's side. You'll be dealing with outsiders. You're going to be a light to the people in the world in the way that it be pleasing to God. The way you act, the way you talk, the way you present God's church or God's truth to people. Are all these ways pleasing to God? The way you talked about the church, let's say. What do you believe, you, you, you people? The way you talk should be pleasing to God. Prepare now. Prepare now how to, be, how to behave in the restaurant. How to have the proper manner of a Christian. How to be a light. See, those are what we call pleasing to God. In... Psalms chapter 133. Psalms 133. This is what God is talking about, what a church is, what a brotherhood is, and we are going to celebrate this feast soon. But I've seen, like many of us here, sometimes some of us make big mistakes at the feast time. I've had so many feasts, I've kept here and everywhere else. And I've always felt that, you see, God's people, this is the time for God's people to really just appreciate not only one another, but also show other people what it means to be called of God, what it means to be doing things pleasing to God. And that's what it is. If your ways are pleasing to God, you'll be serving God. We are servants of God. Psalms 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. That's pleasing in God's eyes. Say unity. Do we have enough of it? I'm asking the question. If not, don't look around. Don't look, look within. Oftentimes if there is, let's say, division, 
Don't point out someone else's fault. Ask yourself, am I part of it? If you are, then you are not pleasing to God. So if we are in God's church, if we are his servants, we should procure peace, procure, procure unity. So how good it is and pleasant. Same word again, pleasing, to dwell in unity. Finally, I'll just give you one more verse before closing. Psalms 25. The book of Psalms is full of praise because of the fact, again, it shows us how to be doing things pleasing in God's sight. Psalms 25, verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. The word fear, I repeat, in the Bible is respect and love him. And he will show them his covenant. Uh, my eyes are, are ever toward, toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of, the, out of the net. So he's going to just explaining what God will do for us, but it's not the verse I'm looking here for. But I, I, I think the verse, the verse I have in mind, that's 25, 4. Well, 14 is perhaps the, what the accent should be put. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. Let's put that part of it. And he will show them his covenant. Now, brethren, ask yourself, no matter what your thoughts are, no matter what your deeds are, no matter where you are, daily, in what, whatever you do, am I doing the things I'm doing that are pleasing to God? Suppose you're talking to a friend. The things you say, are they pleasing to God? If not, try to restrain yourself. Don't do it. Suppose you're angry against someone, and we do have that tendency sometimes. Is this pleasing to God? What does God say if you're angry? God will answer. Suppose you are angry and you seek vengeance. If you seek vengeance, are you pleasing to God? No, of course not. What does God say? He tells you what to do. As I said, there's no place, there's no place in your mind that you will not find an answer in the Bible as to how to praise God. So brethren, ask yourself again, no matter what you say, what you do, am I pleasing to God? If my ways are pleasing to God, then you will always be blessed.